0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Vet Chat. Today we are going over the Great Pond to the United States of America and uh, I'm connected today with Gerald, Professor Gerald Bell from uh, the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. Gerald is not only a professor of veterinary genetics, but he's also the chairman of uh, WSAVA's Hereditary Disease Committee. And today we would like to speak about a video that has just been brought out by WSAVA highlighting the emerging crisis on dog breeding, especially here the uh, brachiocephalic breeds with um, upper airway syndromes. These are particularly French Bulldogs, English Bulldogs and Pucks, but also other dog breeds can be affected by this. So hello and welcome, Gerald Bell, hello.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for joining me for FECAVA Vet Chat. Um, so WSAVA's Hereditary Disease Committee. Um uh, who is in it? Uh what is the committee doing? Um can you tell us a little bit about this committee?
1: Well we are we're a hybrid committee where we have uh practitioners, um v- veterinarians on the committee, Oki Hedhammer from uh, uh Sweden, um Helik from uh Denmark, uh myself, um uh, Monique Megan's from Netherlands. Now she's in Spain. Uh, we also have molecular geneticists. We have Catherine Mellish from the UK. We have Leslie Lyons from the United States is a feline, uh, uh, genetics expert. Um, we have Claire Wade from Australia. And, uh, and so we utilize their expertise and knowledge in veterinary genetics, uh, to assist us in, um, in making decisions and and uh, trying to improve the way that we address hereditary disease as practitioners. I'm also i uh, I'm an adjunct professor at the Cummings School at Tufts. And so I actually am a solo practitioner. I have my own uh, practice in uh, Connecticut, in the United States, and I see primarily pet dogs and cats. So, I do see what is out there in terms of uh, the pet population. I see what is being bred, I see what is being obtained through the different sources. Um, for pets, and and I do take care of them throughout their lifetime. So I do see um, all of the different age-related diseases that we see in practice, and it does help me uh, in uh, being a, a good veterinary geneticist to understand what we are seeing in terms of hereditary disease in practice.
0: Yep, that's always nice if we have somebody who's on one hand with one foot in academia, but on the other hand also in general practice, because sometimes this link is missing, but this this committee is really a- truly international and has a lot of knowledge, skill, but also practical applications sort of behind behind themselves. Some uh, of our listeners will be familiar, especially with uh, Monique Magans. Uh, uh Monique used to be also a FECAVA president. So um and yes uh, the hereditary diseases were certainly are a subject where Monique is one of the 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 real specialists in the field i would say so um the video how did this come about who mm, uh, who came up with the idea what was the idea um of producing the video and uh, also, where do you see uh, this video then be used?
1: Well, it was uh, actually an idea of Monique and Oki um, Headhammer. Uh, the two of them uh, are really involved in this subject and felt that uh, we needed a veterinary perspective and presentation on Boaz, um, but that could be Uh, utilized by all uh, stakeholders, so not just veterinarians, but also owners, breeders, uh, government agencies, since there seems to be a lot of governmental uh, um, influence that's going on, um, to to present the facts about, uh, about this syndrome and to understand what our options are and what options work and what options? Although they seem like they're good ideas, they actually are detrimental to improving the situation with these uh, with these animals. So the banning of breeds, um, you know, people love these short-nosed breeds. And they want them, and, and people are going to breed them. Doesn't require a license to breed an animal. So, uh, um, so if if the the desire is there to have them, then we need to work to enable the breeding of these dogs to be uh, to produce healthy dogs and and enable people to have them as pets. Yeah. yeah.
0: The um the role of the general veterinary practitioner where would you say where where would we start i mean uh is it um uh, i i think we have here three different areas on one hand we will be if we are presented with a dog that is brachiocephalic and that has boa symptoms Then we might have um, a dog which is um, a a breeding bitch, which is, um, uh, uh, that needs help because this dog, these dogs very often have problems during pregnancy or when they deliver their pups. And also um, the third situation is, what should we do if we have a breeder of these dogs, who wants our help in helping them uh, uh, breeding these dogs? Sort of, where would where would be our position as a responsible veterinarian? What would you say?
1: Well, if, if you have a breeder that's willing to work with you uh, that wants to breed healthy dogs, that is a you know the perfect situation because that's where the change has to occur. Unfortunately, um, that does not occur the majority of, of time. And uh, so mostly we're seeing very popular breeds. So we see them often in our practice um, where owners have dogs that are um, affected to some degree uh, with Boaz. And there's certainly plenty of these uh, uh, dogs with uh, short muzzles that uh, don't have Boaz, but uh, but certainly there's a large percentage that do. and. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the person already owns them, our clients already own them. So it's not like we're influencing that purchase um, for the next generation of dogs. We A lot of times people that lose a, a dog, you know want the same breed the next time and and so if we can have them be knowledgeable about what they're looking for and looking for a health focused breeder that is doing uh, respiratory function testing or evaluating, they breeding dogs to see that they are not affected with BOAs. That would be the best situation, and so that is one aspect where we can counsel them. Otherwise, it's it's just our ability to diagnose these dogs and and understand that there are ways that we can improve their lives if they um, if they do have uh, sleep apnea and do have the the other signs of BOAs that uh, affect their their lives and their lifespan.
0: If I'm a veterinary surgeon, um, skilled, and working in reproduction, and I'm presented with a boas dog, where I, from a professional point of view, think this dog is not good for breeding. But the in- breeder is insisting that they want to breed from this dog or from this cat.
1: What would you say should I do? For the, it- It's not always the exact same answer for each disease process. But for this disease process, where you have very popular breeds, um, where you have uh, high numbers of affected individuals, uh, where we don't have genetic tests, uh, a DNA test for this disease process. So the only selection that we can do is to select against clinically affected individuals, um, I would take a I take a hard line on Boaz because um, these are extremely popular breeds, and if we don't breed the affected dogs, we are not going to significantly impact the gene pools of these breeds. They have huge gene pools, um, so we are uh, th- and and if what we're removing is is a um, area of the gene pool that has a genetic disease that affects their health and, and well-being, then, then I think that's a positive aspect of selection uh, for what we want to do. So if, uh, if a surgeon is doing uh, surgery on a dog's NARES or soft palate um, because they are clinically affected, I would recommend neutering at the same time. Now, that's not always the recommendation we make with hereditary diseases, when we have other choices, when there are much rarer breeds that are involved and you worry about the depth of the gene pool um, and how many breeding individuals are available. But for these breeds and this disease, um, that is the right recommendation. Yeah. It's just, I'm sometimes struggling um,
0: because there are members of the profession who uh, run special sort of um uh, uh, reproductive clinics and they are actively helping owners of affected dogs are uh, uh, to reproduce is that is that really in the spirit of um uh, veterinary medicine and also the oaths we have given as veterinary surgeons wouldn't well... it be better to say to these dog owners, uh, sorry, but in this case here, I personally think you shouldn't breed from your dog, and I'm afraid I don't want to give my expertise and my skills to help you um, achieving your goal in getting a litter from this dog.
1: For this particular disease, um, we do have a scientific rating system that was established Um, At the University of Cambridge in the UK and with uh, Dr. Jane Ladlow, uh, where we have a grading system of zero, one, two and three. Uh, So there's four grades and zero is unaffected. One is mildly affected. um, Two is moderately affected and three is severely affected and the recommend breeding recommendations based on uh, what is being produced and uh, and the genetics that's being passed on for future generations is that grade 3 dogs should not be used for breeding. Um, that grade zeros and grade ones uh, can be bred, but they should be bred to other grade zeros and grade ones so that we continue to improve the um, the breed uh, by, by breeding up to dogs that are less affected or unaffected um, and producing dogs that are less affected or unaffected. And if a grade two is going to be bred, it should only be bred because it has other qualities that should be um, uh, carried on and reproduced, then it should be bred to a grade zero or, uh, um, or a grade one, so that you are once again improving the genetics of that individual and what it's passing on to its offspring and not just propagating that problem in its severity as, as that dog has. So those are the, the recommendations and it allows breeders to make their breeding decisions um so that eventually everyone is working with grade zeros um and occasionally some grade ones but we have improved the disease within these breeds and and improved the health of those individuals
0: you were talking about identifying affected dogs one approach as you said, uh, mainly due to the the very valuable work they've done at Cambridge University with Jane Ladlow, is um, anatomical features. Um, Another approach that is very often taken um, uh, by national veterinary organizations is a a physiological approach, that they do exercise, um, uh, an exercise assessment of these dogs to see in how far they um breathe normally under mild or moderate strain um uh, How is this to see sort of is there anything any test superior to the other should we should we as practitioners apply both tests are there other possibilities? Are there also genetic options that we could use
1: um How
0: do you see that?
1: Yes, so um, actually, uh, Dr. Ladlow's work um, at Cambridge and with the, um, with the UK Kennel Club, um, it, it is going for the respiratory function grading, the RFG, um, and they have licensed that um, examination procedure. It is an examination by a veterinarian that has specifically been trained uh, to evaluate for BOAS uh, for a dog at rest. The dog um, goes on a brisk walk for three minutes um, and the, uh, um, the speed of that walk and, and the length and the uh, duration are timed. And then the veterinarian re-examines that dog so that we are looking at a dog immediately after um, uh, some exercise uh, to see whether, um, whether there are uh, clinical signs of turbulence um, that are reflective of Boaz in those individuals. And that's how that 0123 grading system has been applied. Uh, looking just at the anatomical features, what they have found is that the length of the muzzle um, and even um, and even the amount of, of stenosis or narrowing of the nares. Um, are not directly uh, correlated to whether a dog is affected or unaffected with BOAS, but the uh, functional grading, the respiratory functional grading, um, directly reflects whether this dog um, exhibits those signs uh, with, uh, with stutter and strider uh, during an examination um, with a stethoscope um, as, to, uh, as to whether they're affected or not. And the... Um, And the procedure is being licensed um, by the UK Kennel Club and the University of Cambridge uh, to many countries and many kennel clubs around the world. It's been uh, instituted in the United States by the OFA uh, just last month in January. And, um, And so... Uh, By uh, compiling all of the information, including the pedigree information on these dogs, Um, uh, Dr. David Sargon is the geneticist at Cambridge, Uh, they're analyzing uh, once we have multi-generational information to see how much improvement we're seeing in these breeds from the breeding generation down to what's being produced and being uh, evaluated in the um, in the litter uh, information to show that we uh, do have um, improvements with boas, and also enables us to do more genetic um, investigations so that eventually we can have genetic tests and DNA tests to select against this disease syndrome. Yeah,
0: yeah, these. As a as a general practitioner, I'm sometimes surprised sort of that certain breeds are, are very often affected, the Puck, French Bulldog, and yet we have other breeds like, for example, the Boston Terrier, who also have a very compressed skull. But they seem to be to a far lesser degree, if at all, affected by this condition. So... Um, just anatomy, just, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know, uh, sort of luck. Um, uh, it's just uh, very interesting that we have sort of uh, cl- uh, dogs with fairly similar features and yet there is such a huge difference nevertheless
1: in the quality yeah, it's, of life of this. Dog. Hmm. It's very interesting, the research that's being done around the world um, the, uh, the French Bulldog and the Bulldog, as well as the Boston Terrier, they all are uniformly carrying a gene called the Disheveled 2 gene. And that gives them their uh, uh, compressed body size, um, the wide head, and the screw tail. Um, and so therefore, we feel that there's linkage of that gene to the production of Boaz in that regard. However, the pug breed does not have that gene. They have a long tail. They don't have the screw tail, and uh, but they have other genes that cause their wide face and compressed body type, and uh, and brachycephaly, and uh, and so this is the uh, the chore of teasing apart what is the genetics of Boaz, what is the genetics of extreme brachycephaly that predisposes to disease, and that's what the um, geneticists are working on right now.
0: Different question. Are we able to breed ourselves out of the boas problem by keeping the breeding books closed? So by staying inside, inside the current breeding books. Is the gene pool, what shall I say, big enough uh so that we can manage to breed ourselves sort of out of it i mean to give you an example um uh the dalmatian uh, and uralysiasis this is something where taking in just a slight sort of uh, um uh, uh additional uh genetic code from the pointer um completely eliminates the problem with Urolysis in the Dalmatian. So isn't it time that we need to look at the existing breeding books of some of the affected breeds and say, well, um, (laughs) with that what we have, there are just so few dogs that are unaffected Um, uh, isn't it better here to loosen a little bit the, um, what shall I say, the rules and by taking in unaffected breeds, you just slightly change the conformation of the dog and you come to a far quicker result.
1: Yeah, there are many different ways to try to get ourselves away from this uh, disease syndrome. And there are lots of people that are, uh, that are outbreeding and uh, crossing breeds um, to, you know, to pugs and to other breeds to uh, to try to uh, find dogs that are unaffected uh, with boaz. And and if that's what people want, then uh, I think that that's certainly a good endeavor and and maybe if they breed back and and where those non you know non pugs or whatever breed that they're working with are you know become far in the background just as they did with the dalmatians um that maybe the kennel clubs will accept those uh, once again as purebreds and and as a healthier purebred but again the issue that we're dealing with right now is we don't know the genes that are specifically predisposing to Boaz. and so um and so taking dogs uh and and breeding them and saying that this will create a healthier dog is 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 a lot of guesswork until we have that more specific information so that we know which genes are varying between a BOAS affected and a BOAS unaffected um, individual. And that's the research that's being done right now within the breeds. Um, then then we can have much better um, control and a much better response to selection um, to uh, improve the situation. And and from the respiratory function testing that's being done uh, around the world in many different countries, um, the percentage of these breeds that are that are clinically affected um, is not the is not the vast majority of the breed. It 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 does you know can approach up to fifty percent, um, but these are populous breeds. And, and if 50% of the breeds are not affected, and we can utilize those as our breeding uh, population and work away from the disease process, then uh, then there's, there's plenty of dogs and plenty, plenty of uh, gene pool size to, to, um, to work with this disease and with these breeds and not make them endangered breeds, um, if that is what the public wants. How far can veterinary education
0: go? The reason I'm asking the question is, I mean, we have here a video with really the sharpest brains on the subject talking in this video, presenting uh, part of their research, giving advice to colleagues, to potential pet owners, to breeders. And yet I sometimes sort of wonder how far is really our reach we are, after all, we are a small profession in a very very big world and i don't know 20, 2017 we had the world small animal veterinary association congress in uh, uh in copenhagen and uh, we had a symposium on the subject and uh, there was a considerable amount of media interest oh great the vets are meeting and um yes they were taking interviews But what they were most interested in was this here. I don't know if you saw this before. This is a high altitude mask. This is restricting the the airflow. And what the media was mainly interested in was to see something that was simulating the effect of um, of the disease the animals were suffering from. And um, uh, that what eventually went out was not so much that what was present presented at the event, but it was crazy veterinarians running around, running up and down stairs with these masks. So what do you think? How far can we reach as a profession?
1: Well, it's, um, you know, that is part of the issue is that, the owners don't understand that their dogs are suffering, that, um, that the fact that they have turbulent breathing, the fact that they go to sleep with toys in their mouths just to keep their airways open. You know, they think all these things are cute, um, but they don't understand that that it is suffering and that, and uh, uh, Dan O'Neill's um, studies have shown that these, um, that these specific breeds with the extreme brachycephaly, um, they, they die a lot younger. Um, mostly due to respiratory disease, and that, and, and so this is causing, you know, not just um, not just debilitation and more uh, uh, morbidity to, through their lives, but mortality and death um, in these breeds. And um, and so I, I think that that did help, that that is a good messaging. But in terms of what can our veterinary profession do, that's what we deal with at with SAVA in the hereditary disease committee. How can we improve things? You know, even though it needs to be done on the breeder level, um, how do we influence our clients that we have the direct contact with to understand about hereditary disease, to understand that that you need to seek out a breeder that is health-focused? Because if a breeder is not paying attention to health issues, Um, specific to their breeds, or even if they're doing crossbreeding, which many will do, if they're not uh, looking to choose healthy individuals, then they're not going to have healthy offspring. The number one hereditary disease that we see in practice as practitioners is allergies in dogs. And uh, and if you're not going to select against those that have clinical allergies, then you're just propagating the number one hereditary disease that we see in practice. And so um, a, a pre-breeding examination by a veterinarian of any dog that's going to be bred, evaluating the different systems, the heart system, the skin, you know, looking at the histories, not just an examination, because allergies, you, you know, if the dog does not in the middle of an of a allergy season, you're not going to see it on an examination of a dog, but you can look in the history and see that the dog is allergic. You can look in a history and see that a dog is an epileptic. You can look in the history and see that a dog um, has had a bloat you know bloat episodes. Now there are many different hereditary diseases that we can't evaluate through an examination, but as the as the primary veterinarian, we can look at the history and say, this dog is not really a candidate for breeding if you want to produce healthy dogs. And and that's the message that we as veterinarians need to be passing on.
0: Yeah, and I think I think what is particularly valuable is also, and that is also where I see here the, the tremendous value of the Hereditary Disease Committee of WSAVA is that you take a global approach in this subject now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this there's, there's one point if there are individual national uh, veterinary organizations highlight uh, the issue, but where it really needs to be addressed is on a global level. And that is what your group does. And I think that is also, what the video does this is uh, and that feeds again down to the national organizations unless there is a global approach where you say this is okay, this is not okay and please don't breed from these dogs, then again people will take note, especially if it is backed up by authorities like yourself or the other um, authors of uh, uh, of or, or participants in the video, and I think that is uh, where the video is 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 just so valuable. The video is um, available on the WSAVA website, which is wsava.org forward slash boas. And uh, it's uh, a- a- accessible for anybody who, um, uh, you don't need to be a veterinarian. You don't even need to be a dog owner or a breeder. breeder. Uh, so take a closer look, see what we are talking about. Gerald Bell, thank you so much for joining me for this FECAVA Vet chat. Thank you very much also for answering some maybe not so comfortable questions but i think i mean this is a really helpful educational tool and uh, thank you very much to you and to the committee for having put all the hard work and uh, information and knowledge into producing something for the profession as a whole thank you if anyone is Interested in uh, in other subjects that might be covered by Ficava Vetchat, please do email us on vetchat at Ficava.org. Or if you like to comment on this or on any other episodes that we have broadcasted, please do so on that email address or by using our social media outlets. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching on our YouTube channel. And I hope to see you again soon
1: for another episode of the Kava Chat.